Hello, and welcome to the CFA Society San Francisco podcast, where we interview and discuss current topics with leading members of the Bay Area investment community. This week, Tanya Subatang, Membership Manager with CFA Society San Francisco, sits down with Emmy Yoshikawa CFA, VP of Corporate Strategy and Operations at Ripple, to discuss the emerging blockchain crypto market and transitioning into the industry. Hi, Emmy. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get our conversation going. I know it's going to be great. But before I do, I have to congratulate you for being honored at this year's San Francisco Business Times 100 Most Influential Women in Business. How does it make you feel to receive such an honor knowing that you are among other inspiring women? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely feel honored and humbled to receive this award and be among such a great group of women. Uh, it particularly means a lot to me as somebody who was born and raised outside the United States and came to the U.S. when I was 24 years, uh, 24 years old, with the determination to really establish my career in the United States. So being recognized by the local business community really means a lot to me. Well, you know, I really want to jump in and kind of have our listeners learn a lot more about you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey and how you became the VP of Corporate Strategy and Operations at Ripple? And for those not familiar with Ripple, tell us a little bit more about the company. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So uh, as you mentioned, I currently work for a company called Ripple. Uh, Ripple is a crypto company and we do a number of things in this space, but we are most well known uh, for our solution to solve problems in cross-border payments by leveraging blockchain technology. And we provide a global payments network called RepoNet that is used by hundreds of financial institutions today. And that enables real-time settlements that's much more efficient more, and more transparent. So how I got here is really a journey. Um, in the early part of my career, I worked for NSCI, uh, which is the leading provider of indices and investment decision tools. And as a product manager, I developed the risk and the corporate management analytics for institutional investors. So I worked very closely with the asset owners and asset managers to help them make a well-informed investment decisions. And uh, when the 2008 financial crisis happened, I was literally walking on the Wall Street and I witnessed the collapse of the financial markets. And oh, wow. that was a really a formative experience. And that really made me realize that today's financial infra- infrastructure have a lot of uh, fundamental problems and is not really sustainable. And back then, there were a lot of kind of regulatory, um, you know, based uh, solutions, but uh, I felt that there must be some technology based solution to that problem. But at that time, that was not clear what, what, what the solution, yeah, could be was not really clear. And with that in mind, I decided to go back to school. So I studied at uh, Harvard Business School and I decided to focus on emerging technology because I had a strong uh, conviction that the next decade was going to be a decade of technology innovation. So I cross registered with the uh, engineering school 
of Harvard, and I kind of explored many different interesting technologies. And somewhere around there, I ran into you know, the concept of Bitcoin and blockchain for the first time. And I just immediately got fascinated. Um, this idea of a decentralized currency that is not backed by any governments, that, that's a very unique and novel idea at that time. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was just super fascinated. <laughs> but it was very, very early days. So of course, there was no job market for MBAs in the blockchain industry at that time. And uh, so after I graduated from uh, business school, I decided to come to Silicon Valley and I worked for a tech startup and I also I ran my own consulting business as well. But somewhere around like 2015, 2016, I started to see the emergence of the enterprise blockchain and movement and Ripple was really at the forefront of the movement. So Ripple was trying to apply the blockchain technology to really solve that fundamental problem that existed in the uh, financial infrastructure. Um, so I initially, when I joined, uh, I managed to join venture partnerships and uh, other BD stuff. And then uh, about a year ago, I now kind of expanded my scope to also cover corporate strategy and the business operations. But that was a, such a journey. And I'm so glad that I, you know, I jumped into this industry in 2016. And was able to see the whole evolution of this uh, in the industry that has been just just fascinating. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think you know from 2016 to now, but um, you know, this whole concept has been since what 2008, maybe um, or yeah. earlier. So you, even though there has been an eight year gap, you still kind of approached it very much in the early days. So that's amazing how you kind of had that um, projection or, you know, your your premonition. I don't know what you want to call it of knowing that this is going to be something big. Mm-hmm. But it, I want to take it back a little bit because you kind of said something really interesting um, that you actually were not born and raised in the United States. You were actually born and raised in Japan. Mm-hmm. And the most interesting thing about that takeaway for me is that you actually established your career there. You were 24 years old when you decided to move to the United States. And I have to ask, what was your motivation to decide to move your life and make such a big move early on in your career? Yeah. So, yeah, I think growing up in Japan, um, you know, there was always this stereotype that men work outside, but women stay at home. Right? And it was really difficult for me to find a role model uh, around me who is thriving in her career, but also doing well in her private life. Uh, but as a teenager, uh, I really enjoyed watching American movies and the dramas. And uh, I saw like American women uh, were kind of, you know, I felt that they were so much more liberated and have access to more opportunities. And, uh, you know, of course, in the U.S., we still talk about gender diversity issues that still exist. But then still the situation was much better than Japan. So, you know, like as a teenager, like growing up watching American movies and drama, I felt like, okay, this is a country that I really want to establish my career. And I felt that I could uh, really unleash my potential there. So, yeah, after I graduated from my college in Japan, uh, I decided that I will try to go to the U.S. Uh, as soon as possible. So I joined the American company in Tokyo. And as soon as I joined the company, I told my boss that my goal is to uh, move to U.S. and uh, you know, start working there. 
And, uh, but then I, I also still have to prove myself, right? So mm-hmm. I, you know, in addition to working really hard at work, I decided to take CFA exams because mm-hmm. that's the uh, most uh, well-recognized uh, you know, financial certificate. And uh, also I can build a very strong foundation in those uh, financial disciplinary areas. So I took, uh, yeah, level one and level two exams in Japan. And, uh, you know, I, I proved that I, you know, by passing those exams, I, um, you know, I can do well. And then, yeah, my boss uh, let me move to the U.S. And then I also took uh, level three while I was, uh, yeah, in my first or second year in the U.S. as well. But, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> I, I'm so glad that, uh, the company at that time gave me the opportunity to move to U.S. And now I'm here I am. Well, I think you made a, you know, obviously the right choice. You're talking here with me and you um, in your position and working with Ripple. That's pretty amazing. I hope is that everything that you kind of envisioned for yourself or is this more than what you thought you were going to accomplish? Yeah, well, not really. I didn't really imagine that when I first landed in the U.S., I didn't know where, like, yeah, I would be heading. But then I just thought my passion and interest along the way and then yeah i'm just happy where i am today and yeah, this blockchain industry is really keeping me um you know occupied and uh, just uh, yeah continue to be fascinated by this uh, progress of this industry so what about the blockchain cryptocurrency that really piqued your interest and when in your career did that interest kind of reveal itself i know you said it was early on but then you had that kind of um knowing that this was an emerging market when did that kind of um come come up for you yes so i think there are a couple of things uh looking back i think first of all uh i was really inspired by the this democratization nature of crypto and blockchain because crypto is an open system uh, anybody can participate in the ecosystem without anybody else's permission so that has a huge implications for financial inclusions and also that can you know, open up a lot of new business opportunities and new business models. Right? So this kind of massive potential, that was uh, something that, uh, that made me very, very interested in this industry. And then second thing is a little bit more personal. Like I was, when I was, uh, you know, fascinated by crypto, I fell down the rabbit hole of crypto as uh, many people do. And mm-hmm. I was playing and experimenting with uh, you know, the crypto. And particularly when I, you know, sent like XRP digital assets, that's the kind of uh, digital assets that Ripple used for cross-border payments. Mm-hmm. I moved to XRP from one wallet to the other. And literally the settlement happened in a matter of a few seconds. And that kind of wow experience was, uh, yeah, very strong. And then that made me, it was almost an impulse that, oh, I have to get into this space. This is a technology <laughs> that will change the world. And uh, I kind of started researching and found Ripple and then, yeah, and uh, kind of the, yeah, the rest goes on. But I think, uh, yeah, so the early discovery of Bitcoin was at the early, yeah, maybe 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. But then I, I think, uh, yeah, it was around 2015 or so, like I really immersed myself and then literally like, used the crypto and then did my hand study and then experienced it. And then that was a kind of a, yeah, wow moment for me. And then that made me, yeah, just I, I couldn't help that, but just getting into this industry at that time. 
So we know that this is definitely a big emerging market. I think you would be living under a rock if, you know, you have not heard of cryptocurrency and blockchain. Mm -hmm. Um, There was actually um, an article or interview that was done by LinkedIn saying that um, they saw a U.S. job posting with terms like crypto and blockchain Mm -hmm. grew up to 615% in August from last year. So it's definitely coming up and definitely emerging. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give someone interested in entering the blockchain crypto industry? Because obviously now more banks, major banks are looking for talent. Um, you know, what talent would you, would someone like say Ripple be looking for? And mm-hmm. um, does having a background in data science essential mm-hmm. in kind of breaking into that industry? Yeah, I think uh, uh, I, I know a lot of people are really interested in getting into, into the crypto and blockchain industry, but I think many people tend to think that in order to get into this industry, you have to be super technical. Mm-hmm. But that, and of course, they're a technical job, but that's not everything. And uh, this is a whole new industry and we need a current of diverse backgrounds and skill sets. Um, so for example, like we need a very talented marketer who can translate very complex concepts into something very easy to understand and digestible. Uh, we need uh, uh, people with a policy background who really understand the traditional finance uh, policy and then translate that into uh, crypto as well. Um, and then we also need a, a bunch of people from the traditional financial sector, banking sector, uh, because they do understand that the problems that exist in today's financial infrastructure and uh, also they speak the language of our customer, right? So, um, yeah, I think there's a bit of a misconception. You have to be super technical, but it's not necessarily the case. And of course, you have to have um, a kind of baseline knowledge. But what you can uh, really bring to the table in addition to the blockchain uh, the foundation is more important. And uh, I hope that, uh, yeah, people really focus on that aspect. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, women tend to feel that they need to kind of check all the boxes before jumping right. into a new industry. Mm-hmm. So I really highly encourage them to jump in, even before they feel they are ready. Because once you're in the industry, there are so many things that you can learn on the job. And being, being in the industry first is really important. Yeah. You know, I remember that one of the conversation you and I had, because you were also, correct me if I'm wrong, were recognized as one of the 50 women in FinTech. Mm-hmm. And you told me something really interesting on how you got discovered. I mean, if you could please share that with us, how you were going through social media, right? Oh, or- yeah, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I was uh, selected as one of the top 50 um, yeah, influencers in the fintech. And I, uh, you know, when I try to educate myself about crypto and blockchain, actually one of the most uh, effective way to do so is to have um, a presence on social media, interact with people. That's really the best source of the latest information and thinking. It's not a textbook or, yeah, some long articles or white paper, but then what's kind of newest and latest is really always on the social media. So I think, uh, yeah, I was really active on social media and that, I think that was one of the reasons why I was uh, um, kind of uh, featured as uh, one of the top uh, women. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, generally speaking, uh, this uh, gender diversity is really important. And uh, I really want more women to join this industry. 
because blockchain and crypto is a, I, I, I think this technology really forms a social fabric and it's kind of creating that foundation for the new society in the future. And we need a people of diverse backgrounds and different perspectives now before it's too late mm -hmm. and so that this new kind of newly formed society uh, takes into account all different values and uh, perspectives of the different constituents. So we know this is emerging. You mentioned that more than once already in this conversation. What, you know, looking ahead, what potentials in the blockchain and crypto industry are you most excited about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of things, but I think I'm particularly excited about the, this realization of the internet of value. Um, that's actually the mission statement of Ripple as a company. Uh, basically what this means is that, so the first revolution of the internet was really about internet of data, meaning that the data can move instantaneously, freely, and uh, you know, we can send the data to anybody because of uh, the internet. Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, a whole new business models and opportunities were developed, right? Like social media, right? Hearing businesses and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Now we are really getting into the second revolution of internet, and that is the internet of value. And that means is uh, what that means is that. Uh, now we will be able to move value just like information moves freely uh, because of the blockchain being the key technology enabler. So I think that um, this era of internet value, this will create a whole new kind of business opportunities and new business models again, just like that like the first revolution of internet did. So that's the kind of aspect that I'm interested in. So blockchain is really an infrastructure technology. And on top of that, there will be a, a many, many new businesses and business models uh, popping up over the next uh, decades or so. Speaking of businesses, um, why do you think it's important for companies like Ripple to exist, especially now? Yeah. So I think uh, often, sometimes we are called as a disruptor in this industry, but we don't necessarily view us as a disruptor, but mm -hmm. we see ourselves as a more of an enabler because mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, becoming a competitor to incumbents in the financial industry, we, uh, we work with the incumbent, um, you know, companies to help them take advantage of new technologies like uh, blockchain. Mm -hmm. And early on, um, we decided that we become a technology infrastructure company and then technology enabler company rather than competing with the existing financial institution because uh, still like majority of money today sits in the fi traditional financial institutions. Mm -hmm. And the biggest impact that we can make is really to help them you know, realize that and uh, leverage that new technology. So that's kind of how we decide to position ourselves. And also another point uh, why I think the report is making a big impact and why I think it's really important for a company like us to exist is that uh, we are seeing this as a, really a whole new ecosystem and a society, not just a, a tech, narrow definition of technology, but we have to build an uh, ecosystem of uh, uh, stakeholders. So we work mm -hmm. with uh, universities. We have a research collaboration program called URI. Uh, we also work very closely with uh, policymakers and regulators around the world. Uh, we work with, of course, uh, technology, tech communities, entrepreneurs, and also traditional financial uh, services. So really getting to work, you know, have, having the opportunity to work with uh, 
wide range of constituents and stakeholders. That's really important, particularly in this early stage. And uh, yeah, I think Ripple has been doing a great job in the aspect. Ripple also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, you sat on the board of director seat on it. And it, and it was a company that Ripple had held. Um, oh, forgive me. Um, yeah, I think you're talking about MoneyTap, right? Yes, MoneyTap. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit more about MoneyTap and what the goal is uh, for that organization. Yes. Yeah. So MoneyTap is a Japanese fintech company and they're trying to disrupt the payments uh, space in Japan for both domestic payments, but also cross-border payments. And we decided to partner with each other uh, several years ago. So MoneyTap now uses uh, Ripple's technology as a uh, infrastructure technology and uh, applying that for both domestic and cross-border payments. And earlier this year, Ripple decided to invest in MoneyTap. So uh, through that, I became a board member of MoneyTap. And uh, yeah, it's been, you know, like a different country have different challenges, uh, but particularly in Japan, uh, the domestic payments infrastructure has had a lot of limitations and problems. And I believe that this uh, yeah, blockchain technology has a huge potential in, um, in upgrading the infrastructure. I was going to ask what it, what are some kind of difference you found of it kind of, you know, here in the U.S. versus somewhere overseas um, and kind of what, you know, if the challenges were the same or if they were different. Uh, I was just kind of curious to see. Yeah, I, I would say um, the payments industry globally is a highly uh, has been you know, uh, dominated by several large global banks, uh, particularly in the FX and liquidity space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a result, uh, um, some of the emerging markets, uh, particularly Southeast Asia, Middle East, um, they were kind of the victim of uh, this uh, monopoly in the global financial markets. And mm-hmm. so as a result, uh, financial institutions in those emerging markets are actually e- more eager to utilize blockchain technology. So Actually, on the RepoNet, we are seeing a lot of growth momentum in Southeast Asia, um, Middle East, and because they they are now empowered, and basically it's a democratization, right? They don't have mm-hmm. to go through Western big financial giants, but they can use blockchain to facilitate payments directly uh, without uh, much fewer intermediaries, uh, no intermediaries. So. Yeah, it's interesting to see those uh, regional differences. So now, you know, you, you talk about it kind of going globally, the whole mm-hmm. blockchain technology. That is, that is blockchain becoming more adapted, um, adopted globally. How do you think that will impact retail investors when it comes to cryptocurrency? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, uh, crypto definitely is going to be uh, more and more important uh, part of uh, retail investors' portfolio. Uh, crypto assets are known to have a very low correlation with the existing traditional asset classes and also is inflation resistant. And we started to see a variety of financial products uh, uh, leveraging crypto uh, that is coming to the market. For example, Bitcoin futures and Bitcoin options and also most recently Bitcoin ETFs. So um, yeah, this is a great move and uh, we will see more and more retail friendly products 
that will make uh, crypto much more easily accessible. Um, so I think uh, in order for retail investors to continue protecting and growing their assets, I think it's really important for them to have a crypto literacy, learning about this new asset class and uh, being educated about it. So yeah, I'm uh, really optimistic and very excited about this aspect of uh, yeah crypto coming to retail investors' portfolios. Mm-hmm. That's already happening uh, in, among millennials, but then I think it will become much more mainstream going forward. Well, I was going to ask, I know millennials are definitely, you know, accepting and adopting cryptocurrency more openly than say someone who is older, more, you know, in their years. What do you say to those that might be very much against cryptocurrency in kind of adapting it into, you know, someone's financials? You know, what would ha- what would you say to them or what <laughs> kind of? <laughs> yeah, I it's think, a question. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> I think some people still see it as a like a extremely speculative as a class with no utility, but that's mm-hmm. really not true. And we we are definitely seeing a lot of um, use cases of real tangible utility. So I think. So those skeptics, uh, once they understand how crypto is making a real impact on people's lives, I think, yeah, there'll be a definitely better understanding about this asset class. And, uh, uh, you know, it, really this industry's growth is driven by real utility and real use case. Mm-hmm. So as the market continues to expand, and we can see more and more, yeah, new use cases and, uh, yeah, real tangible use case that people can relate to. So as a lover of technology, you're clearly very passionate in your field. Um, you actually, in addition to working at Ripple, you're an adjunct professor at Toyota University. Mm-hmm. What does that role entail? Yeah, so as an adjunct professor at the Kyoto University, I, I do a number of things. Uh, first, I help the Kyoto University uh, launch their blockchain research center, uh, which really focuses on the solving sustainability issues using blockchain technology. So, um, yeah, it's been a great experience and uh, it's a great re- venue to drive industry academia collaboration that I'm super passionate about. Um, I also participate in a research project, uh, for example, a project to build an uh, energy management system using XRP Ledger. That's the uh, one of the major public blockchain uh, ledgers that, that exists out there. Um, and then also we organize the international blockchain conference by inviting researchers from across the world. Um, and also uh, from time to time, I conduct lectures on blockchain uh, technology for students. And uh, I, I'm really passionate about developing the blockchain talent for the future because mm-hmm. we need more people, more talent, uh, you know, smart students and young talent to come into this industry early on so that we can really spur the growth of this industry. I think you won't have a problem with that soon. <laughs> more and more of the younger generation is definitely um, interested in it. And, you know, like you, I can't wait to see kind of what it looks like from now. I mean, we've jumped so much, right, since for how many years already into now, what's the next 20 years going to look like? It's going to be so interesting to, to see. So, Emmy, I, I mean, so much enjoying our conversation. But before we wrap this up, because I know you're extremely busy, I have to ask and I ask this to everybody, who inspires you and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I think somebody really inspires me is a co-founder of Ripple, Chris Lawson. He's a um, serial entrepreneur. Uh, this is actually a certain time he launched uh, um, his company. Previously, he launched Elon and Prosper 
in this time uh, rapport. But the theme in his uh, kind of entrepreneurship is really about democratization of finance. And uh, you know, he initially, when he decided to launch rapport, this concept of internal value was really the driving force. And uh, yeah, he, he's really a visionary person and uh, has been, you know, involving a lot of stakeholders around the world to really make his vision a reality. And, but in person, he's a, such a modest person and very friendly and a kind person. So yeah, I'm just, uh, but I, I, I can literally see he has a huge passion and this drive to make things happen. So mm-hmm. having the opportunity to work with him um, is a, has been such a pleasure and uh, feel like it's a huge privilege. So yeah, I really admire him. Oh, that's awesome. One more question if I can. What's next for you, Emmy? What are you most looking forward to for the future? <laughs> yeah, I did a, I, I'm just uh, so excited about how this uh, blockchain industry will unfold in the coming years. This year was really about uh, the institutional adoption of crypto. And mm-hmm. we are seeing a crazy growth. Mm-hmm. And I think in the coming years, uh, we will start to see more and more new use cases and a lot of mainstream companies coming into the industry. So it's really kind of a, almost feels like the beginning of the internet boom or even bigger and uh, yeah, just uh, trying to catch up with this industry and keeping up and then doing something really new and tangible is, uh, yeah, that just, that, that's what keeps me going. And uh, yeah, I just uh, look forward to, to having bigger impacts, continue to have a bigger impact in this industry. Well, I think you're on your way and being in the forefront is definitely amazing. And I can't wait to see what is going to be coming up from you and Ripple itself. But so thank you so much, Emmy, for joining me. The conversation was fantastic. Um, and I hope we get to catch up with you again soon. Yes, I do too. Um, thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CFA Society San Francisco podcast. We hope you enjoyed the engaging discussion. Please stay tuned for more episodes of this podcast featured every fourth Tuesday in our weekly newsletters and through the CFA Society San Francisco podcast channel available through most major podcast apps.